Who would like to be Job? Who would like to have that experience? I think one of the things that comes out of the story of Job, and we're going to dig into a parable, but is the realization that it was very, very unfair what happened to Job. Job was a good man. Job was a righteous man. Job did everything that was asked of him. And all this came upon him. It's unfair. And I'm hoping that as we tuck into the parable today, we'll see something of that. Um, Could you close your eyes for a moment? Just I think it's important for us. We, We sang that song about God's presence and that God inhabits the praises of his people. And we want to ask this afternoon, Lord Jesus, by your spirit that you would open our minds and our hearts to hear today, to hear beyond the words, to hear what the spirit is saying to us that we might put into practice, that we wouldn't get hung up on a word or a thought that I might have that's maybe not from, not from you, but that we would hear what the Spirit is saying. We would trust you today. Help us to trust you today in these things that we learn in your precious name. Amen. It's just a reminder about parables. I always like to say something about the parables up front. The parables are um, analogies. They're not allegories. Do you know the difference? And. An analogy is a comparison between two things to try and learn something. An allegory is a story or a picture that has something hidden that draws out so that you can learn a lesson. So Pilgrim's Progress is an allegory. Parables are not allegories. And the, the sad thing, if you listen to teachings on allegories over the especially older ones, they, uh, on the parables, they, they use them as allegories. They try to pull things out of parables that the parables were never meant to do. Parables are trying to make a point. One point, through a comparison story, make a point. And so that's what we always want to remind ourselves as we get stuck into this parable. So let's read. We're going to read from Matthew chapter 19. I'm going to start at verse 30, go through the parable, and end in chapter 20, verse 16. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. And after agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, which is about a day's wage, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right I will give you. So they went, and going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour he went and found others standing, and he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? And they said to him, because no one has hired us. And he said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them the wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour, which is kind of an hour before the end of the day, came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. 
Did you not agree with me for denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with my belongings to me, what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first last. In some ways it seems like an easy parable. In some ways it's a more complicated parable. But if you've been to Home Depot, anyone been to Home Depot fairly recently? There's always guys sitting there, standing there looking for work. Have you noticed that? They're looking for work. They, they're sitting there. If you just look at them, they look like they're idle, doing nothing. But what they do, and there's an expectation in their hearts that they will arrive there in the morning, that someone will come by and say, I need a, someone to lay bricks. I need someone to paint. I need someone to do this. I need someone to do that. They'll load them on the truck, take them, and pay them a day's wage. And it would be like me going there at 6 o'clock in the morning and grabbing a guy and say, I need you to come and re- help me repave my my driveway, and then going back a bit later and adding, and at the end of the day, I give them all the same amount of money. I mean, that's kind of what's happening here. And there's a sense of this, uh, this is kind of unfair, because this is what really happens here. Um, and it's important to see that, one, that this parable is addressed to the disciples. He's talking, it comes as Peter's asking questions. He's talking to his disciples. He's not talking to the Pharisees per se here. I'm not saying they couldn't learn anything. He's not talking to the general population out there, not saying they couldn't learn anything either. He's speaking to his disciples. It's important to see that. And the second thing is he's addressing another characteristic of the kingdom of heaven. This is not a total picture of the kingdom of heaven. It's just a little glimpse of something into the kingdom of heaven that is available to us now. And so to summarize this parable, if we can get it and then unpack from that, the parable focuses on the goodness of the owner and the complaint of the workers. You see that? that From the reading, would you see that? The goodness of the owner to give, just bless people, and the complaining of those who started first saying, well, we should have got more. The lesson that I think we need to get out of this is that God, because this is representing God's talking about the king, um, Jesus talking about the kingdom of heaven. So he's, when he's talking about this owner, he's, it, this is God being represented. He's saying the way that God deals with people is not based upon our own accounting of how we think things should be based. God has a standard that's not our standard. He's got a way of working things that is different for us. He looks at the heart. In the Old Testament, there's that many references. He doesn't look at this productivity or something. He, he looks at different things. He measures by a different standard. The challenge that comes in is that we live on an earthly standard, and so we measure against those things when we, we have all this comparison that comes in. And these stand, we have our standards of justice, and by that story, it was an unjust story And it was an unjust action on behalf of the owner to pay those who'd worked one hour the same as those who worked 12 hours. We have to unpack that a little bit. This is not a parable about employment standards in America. All right, if you see it, if you read it through that, then you're absolutely right. It's unfair. But this, is, this parable is not about employment standards. It's not about the workplace here. That, the parable is trying to make a point about God 
and people is not trying to make a point about employment. Does it make sense? doesn't mean we can't learn anything from it about employment, but that's not the purpose of the parable. And many people try and do that and, and say, it's, you see, this parable is the foundation to socialism. All right? This parable has nothing to do with socialism All right, in the economic front. This parable has to do with the way that God, the Lord of the universe, addresses and looks at the people that he's created and how he deals with them and the standard that he uses to bring his, his laws to bear and his judgment into their lives. In our world, equal pay, equal work for equal pay. Isn't that right? And I remember um, I worked for Unilever and I had a position, I was a grade 19, whatever the grade was, I can't remember, and I was on this, this trajectory to be a senior manager and Linda worked for another department so she knew I was on this trajectory and I was the only non-graduate on this trajectory. And then I had a, a girl that worked for me so she was, she was a grade 17 so I would give her work. Does it make sense? So she worked for me. But she, she was a graduate and one day through some way I found out what she earned and I realized I earned 20 rand a month, $20 more than her and I got quite indignant and I put my pen down whatever I was doing and I walked to my boss and I said this is what I found out what are you going to do about it because I had a higher position I was doing more work I had more responsibility and she was only in $20 less than me what were they going to do about it and they doubled my salary I think it was whatever it was it was kind of ridiculous but there was a sense of indignation that came upon me because I had the sense of justice of what needs to be. I was doing this work. I deserved it. And I thought I was getting a good salary until I found out what she was earning. And then I was mad. And it got righted. This is not the way God works. That's the way humanity works. If you work less, you should be paid less. I mean, that just makes total sense, doesn't it? And God says, maybe down there, but not how I see things. So if your position is more important, you should get more. And if you do more, you should have a better position. That's how our mind works. Some of you have got promotions in the last while. And with that promotion, you want more money, more benefits, more this, more that. Because that's what we do. That's the way our society works. When I became an elder, so it was Chris and Linda's brother, they were the elders. And I led this community, and our community was a thriving community. It was the fastest. So there were three communities within the church. I led one, and it was thriving, and it was growing twice as fast as every other community. And there was more life in our community than any other community. And one of the other community leaders became an elder before me. And I was indignant. So it's just happened to me a little bit in my life. I want to use other words, but I won't use them. I was mad. And I read to wrestle with God. But actually, it's out of this sort of story that God speaks and God says, well, that, I'm not looking at your productivity. I'm looking at something else. And when I dealt with it, I was brought on to eldership. Actually, a few months later. Because there was something I had to deal with. And... And the leaders, in my understanding, were being stupid. 
But in God's understanding, they were being wise because they could see it and they had to bring it to bear. The funny thing is when I became an elder, there was another guy who felt that he should have been an elder and he had to go through the same thing that I had to go through. Because our hum- humanity measures by this earthly standard. And God just does not work like that. And this parable, the kingdom of heaven, is not like the earthly standard. I mean, kind of quick summary. The problem is the sin of comparison. That's where our problems start. It's a sin of comparison. We like to compare ourselves to others. We start with ourselves. It's a self-centered perspective. We start with us and we compare ourselves to everyone else. So we we either feel really good about myself because if I compare myself to Chad, I feel so good. Because, I mean, look at Chad. Love you, Chad. You know? But then I look at Dan and I think, oh, God doesn't even love me. You know, we live like that. And our emotions go up and down every day based upon what we feel about other people. Because people are compared. They want to compare how much income you have. They want to compare how much money you have. And they want to know how many, I mean, how spiritual are the meetings? I mean, go to pastors' meetings. It's full of that stuff. We've, we've reduced it to an earthly measure. And actually, we should be elevating to a godly measure. We do it everywhere, the sin of comparison. You see, the owner wasn't concerned about right or wrong. He agreed to pay these people X amount, a day's wage. But he knew that these people, standing on the side of the road, looking like they were idle, they maybe had families that needed to be fed, and if he only gave them one hour's wage, he was not giving them enough money to actually look after their families and to be able to survive. So he said, out of my generosity and out of my goodness, I will pay you the same amount of money so that you can go home today with dignity and say to your wife and your family, look, I've earned a day's wage and I can look after you. The picture here is the goodness and the generosity and the beauty of God. Does it make sense? Imagine if you went and did that to the guy at Home Depot. And you needed a guy for an hour. But you knew if you took him away for an hour, the chances of him now getting an eight-hour job is gone because you've only got him for an hour. And you paid him for a whole day so that he had dignity when he went home. How beautiful would that be? The kingdom of heaven would advance. It's a representation of the way of God. You see, when when you go back to chapter 19 of Matthew, it's the story of the rich young ruler who comes to Jesus and says, I've, I've, served, I've done everything right. I've, I've kept all the commandments, I've done everything. And Jesus looks at him and says, great, I've loved you. If you can just do this one thing, if you can just give it all up, give it to the poor, come follow me. Jesus goes on because the disciples were there. Now he comes into this and he's teaching his disciples. He says, you see, the goodness of God is he gives to the poor. Not according to our standard, but according to his goodness and generosity. How many times have you driven past someone who's standing on the side of the road, begging, struggling, whatever, and say, just get a damn job. I've said that so many times over the years. And I realize maybe they're unable to get a job. Maybe there's some real issues. I don't know if I were allowing the kingdom to break in. 
should be being generous and kind and good to represent my heavenly father. Um, so what about reward? The Bible speaks about reward, doesn't it? How does reward fit into all of this? Because if you read the talents, are you going to preach on the talents sometime? There's reward. Some are going to get more. Some are get this. There's a sense of reward. How does this fit into this type of story about God? And obviously that's a parable teaching something else. But, you know, rewards are a great motive for us to remain faithful and to get on and be and do what God asks us to do. There's a, it's a sense of a focus for our endeavors. But we have, to, we have to see that rewards are not wages. If I led 10 people to the Lord, my reward would be 10 golden chalices. But Brian only led two people to the Lord, so he'll only get two golden chalices. That's our standard. But what we fail to recognize is that the 10 people I led to the Lord was in Indonesia, where they're getting saved by the millions. And I went there, and it was rather easy, but Brian happened to be in Tibet, where there are only five known Christians, and he led two to the Lord. So, do you hear this? There's a faithfulness. There's all sorts of things involved. There's a reward. It's got nothing to do with wages. And it's not about calculations and comparisons. And our minds are really quick. I don't know where we got it, but our minds are so quick to do calculations and comparisons. If they got that, then I should get that. And that's what these guys were doing. See, verse 10 in this story is the key verse. Those hired first, this is the verse thought they would receive more. Why? Because in their heads, oh, they get in a denarius, we must, they thought, but they were thinking wrong. Be transformed by the renewing of your minds. You've got to get a kingdom perspective. You've got a kingdom perspective. So when we look at Job, one of the reasons I like to read Job is that the, Paul writing to Timothy said, don't disregard the public reading of Scripture. So just reading the public, doesn't matter if it was even out of context, it's pretty good to read public reading of Scripture. But when we look at Job, everything is unfair. He's a righteous man. He's doing everything right. He's praying for his kids. He's trying to raise his kid best. He's a generous man. He's a good man. He never, even when all the calamity comes on, he does not surrender his position before God. Even his wife comes and says, man, just give up and die. And he says, I will never, never. And then his buddies come and they just give him bad advice. And he says, no, no. He just sticks to the plot. It's unfair. It shouldn't happen from our viewpoint. But God has another Plan in place. Now, whether you think Job is a real person or Job is a parable, doesn't really matter. Jesus refers to Job. The story, that story, that account has encouraged the church for centuries. It's not fair in our economy, but in God's economy, he said, no, I'm going to use this for the benefit of my people. It's unfair. Sometimes when you're going through struggles, it's unfair. You're a good person. You're kind, you're generous, you're all these things, and bad things happen. Why? Because we've lowered God into our worldly standard. We need to elevate ourselves to a kingdom perspective. And God is basically saying, 
in this parable, it's all mine. I can do with it as I please. If I choose to give miles, everything that I have, it's, if it's mine, who, you can't tell me I can't. See, the story with Ananias and Sapphira, do you remember that story in, in Acts? Is that, what was the judgment that they didn't give? Was that the judgment? The judgment was that they said we were giving more than they said they were going to, and they lied. They could have given anything they liked. It was theirs. But they wanted to make a show. They wanted to do a comparison. They wanted to elevate and do calculations. And so they said, we get, but they held back and they died because they dishonored the kingdom principle. I wonder what it would be like if God actually held us to that account today in some of those things. It's a comparison. It's yours. Do with it as you please. It's God's. He can do with it. Is this all right? I'm not getting too sort of... Reward does not create status or ranking. It's just a reward. You know, if you, if, um, who shall I say? Robbie runs across the street and a truck's come in and I dive with my, you know, my physique and I dive and I take him out of the way and I roll and I protect him and I got grazes but he's got nothing and I've really protected him. And I put him down, and he doesn't say thank you, he just runs off. Have you ever seen the Groundhog Day when the guy falls out of the tree? I've done this every day, and you never say thank you. <laughs> but then Dan and Beck are just overwhelmed at how amazing I was. And they come and say, can we have a reward? You want a reward? And they, whatever, they, you know, they, they give me a, something. It doesn't change my status or my ranking. It's just a reward. Doesn't make me part of the elite. It's just a reward. And sometimes we have to see that we want rankings, we want all this stuff, and sometimes God is just rewarding us for faithfulness, blessing us, and it's got nothing to do with anything else. But when we think too much in an earthly standard, then we get ourselves confused and everything gets mixed up. And then we start comparing, and then we get mad, and then we get angry with people, and then we get angry with God, and then we don't want to serve God anymore because he's unfair, and God's saying, what? Implicit in this parable is the assumption that God's judgment and rewards will be contrary to human expectations. I think heaven's going to be a surprising surprising place I think when we whatever that entry point looks like and we step through from this world into the next and the, it's like we, we'll see through I think we're going to get a shocker it's going to be interesting I think God's going to be more beautiful than we ever expected I think God's ways are going to be more exciting than we ever dreamed I think the people that are going to be there are going to surprise us. And the people we thought were going to be there that are not there, it's going to shock us. But I don't know. It's God. I think implicit into this story as well, into this parable, is that envy 
And Snodgrass says that envy is displeasure at someone else's success. And there's a great definition. Envy is displeasure at someone else's success is contrary to the ways of the kingdom. In the ways of the kingdom, there's no place for envy, only gratitude and celebration and thanks and blessing. So as we learn from the story and we grow in the ways of the kingdom and we want to mature, we need to just jealousy and thoughts of privilege and all those things. We just got to let it go and say, God, help me. I know I'm human. I know these thoughts will keep bombarding me. I live in, in a world that it just... Would you help me just to release those? Maybe your prayer in the morning is, Lord, today can I live free of envy and jealousy and comparison and counting and just live free in everything that you've called me to do? There are three things that I think that this parable challenges us to think about, really, really think about. One are the issues of envy, justice, and goodness in the way that we deal with others. I think secondly... There's a question, why do we find it so difficult to rejoice over the good that happens to other people when it doesn't happen to you? When something really good happens to someone that you don't even like, or it's there, we, we find it so hard just to celebrate. I actually think as we grow in godliness, God wants us to learn to celebrate that with not a sense of why didn't it happen to me? You know, I've got, we've got about 15 friends, I think, who won the, a green card in the lottery. You know, America has a lottery for the green card. They give away 50000 a year. No reason to come to America. You just entered the lottery and you won it. You've got a green card and you can come live here. And I know friends that have entered year after year after year after year that are desperate to be here just their whole lives and they've never Want it. And then some guy says, oh, I'll just enter for the heck of it. I don't really want to go. And he enters and he wins. It's not right. It's not fair. But actually, just rejoice with someone else. I think that's there's levels of God changing us into maturity. Just rejoice with that person. And thirdly, I think we spend a lot of time calculating how we've been cheated. Cheated by God, cheated by people, cheated by the boss, cheated by life. We just spend a lot of time thinking about that. And I think we lose out on the ability to live the life that God gives us and lays before us every day with joy and gratitude and thanksgiving. Anyone heard of a guy named Kierkegaard? Is he from your country? He's, from, he's a Dane. So we, we, I won't read him. He's not too good then. <laughs> Soren Kierkegaard said this, the life of God's kingdom with its focus on communal love cannot be experienced as long as we are comparing ourselves with others and calculating what is due us or being envious of what others receive. Even while we speak of justice, none of us is satisfied with the average. We always think we deserve a little more. When, when did Kierkegaard live? A long time ago. And he still had that issue was around. Why? Because it's the human condition. And the human condition in a Western American world is just exploded. The human condition in a third world poor place 
manifest differently, it doesn't really manifest so much like this because people realize if we don't care for each other, we're not going to live. Justice requires a positive action seeking the good of people, all people, especially the poor. In Proverbs, Proverbs 22 verse 9 says this, Whoever has a bountiful eye, I lost my place, will be blessed for he shares his bread with the poor. Whoever has a bountiful eye, whoever has a way of seeing, a a kingdom way, is blessed because they share what they have with others. In in Proverbs 28, verse 22, it says, A stingy person hastens after wealth and does not know that poverty will come upon him. And this poverty, I don't necessarily mean this poverty of resources. You're going after wealth. You might get all the wealth in your life, but you get poverty of spirit. And when you get poverty of spirit, you, do, you close the door to the reward that God wants to bring you. And then you will get angry because God will bless someone else who you think shouldn't be blessed. You should be blessed. It's all tied into this. Does that make, is this making sense? Now, it's a challenge. It's a great challenge. The, the idea of this is not like, oh, we got this, we're out of here, woo, we got, no, this is the challenge is that the kingdom of heaven wants to come into our lives, and we need to align ourselves with it as best we know every, how, every day and fight the good fight. And every day something's going to come against us. And the day you choose, today I want to do good to people, especially the poor, whatever, that's the day. Bang, something's going to happen. This is not easy. It's not easy to live the way of the kingdom. It's not easy to embrace the way of Jesus. It's actually really, really, really difficult. If this parable is about the goodness of God, then it asks us that we give up envy and calculation of reward and rather both embrace and imitate God's goodness. That means we must give up the quest to be first, knowing that God's standards are different, that what appears to be first might be lost. A kingdom way. I need you to hear this really carefully because I'm not saying, um, what I, you've got to hear what I'm saying and, and what I'm not, whatever, that quote, that parable, I never said. This is not a, the ways of the kingdom are not primarily about productivity and execution and outwork, you know, and, and outworking your neighbor and all that. Because we think that's productivity. Pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. And so I've got to be more productive than my neighbor. Therefore, they work 12 hours, I will work 14 hours. Then they work 15 hours, I'll work 16 hours. Because I don't want to wake up in the morning and their car's already gone to work. And when they, when, when they wake up and they, and they look and my light's on already, whoa, what's up? So it, it, I'm, I'm being facetious in my examples, but it's how we think. Sometimes the most productive people in the kingdom seem to be the most unproductive in the world. They just got their production right. 
I'm not saying for you not to be productive at work. That's not what I'm saying, okay? Don't be lazy at work. But do what you have to do and then be done. You see, Job, back to Job. Did I fix, fix it all right? Are you happy? I'm the theologian, and I just want to make sure that I'm just tying in all my stuff. Job did everything right. He was doing, he'd grown his camels and his this. And, I mean, he was doing well. And then this came upon him for no reason whatsoever, except God was trying to prove a point. How unfair of God. Well, God was looking at Job and then looking beyond Job to the millions that would learn from the story. Isn't it unfair that Jesus goes to the cross? No, Jesus, God looked at the cross and then looked beyond and saw the millions that had gained entry into the kingdom because of the cross. Unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it bears no... <clears throat> so I'll close with this and then a, a, a text from the book of Revelation. The characteristic, one of the characteristics... Of the kingdom is not productivity, but faithfulness. Because you can be very productive and be unfaithful. But actually, God's standard is faithfulness, doing what he asks us to do. So when you read the Sermon on the Mount, he gives all this. says, a wise person is a person who hears these things and puts them into practice. They are the person who's going to stand built well. You can just do a lot of activity and actually go nowhere. But God is looking for faithfulness. And that moment that you cross over, well done, good and productive worker. Come in and get your reward of ranking. No, well done, good and faithful servant. You did what I asked you to do. And maybe what I asked you to do was not what you wanted to do. But well done. Done. Enter in and enjoy your master's glory. You're not going to be the master. Enter in and enjoy your master's glory. So beautiful. Last scripture I'll be doing. Revelation chapter 2. So the stories of the, you know, the seven churches. These letters have been written to seven churches. This is to the church in Ephesus. This is what John is seeing in, his, in this great revelation. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance. Yeah, I know your productivity. I see it. And how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and then found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. These people are doing it. I mean, if I had a ch we had a church like this, we'd think, whoa, it's so good. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Isn't that crazy? You see how much you've you see I can see how much you're doing for me. I can see it. I can see you you patient, endurance, you're taking suffering. I can see it. You it's amazing, but the point you missed the point. You lost the love. I see that you're feeding the poor and you 
clothing these and you're visiting the, ho the hospitals and the prisons and you're just doing. But you've made it works. You've forgotten your love. This is what I'm saying. In your productivity, you forgot love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. So there are works of love. You're doing work. That's not what I asked you to do. I asked you to do something that flowed out of love. If not, I will come to you and I'll remove your lampstand. Your, your reason for existence, I'll remove it. Unless you repent. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers. The one who conquers in this, for this church in this area. The one who conquers this. I will grant to eat of the tree of life. Which is in the paradise of God. I am not capable of living such a life on my own. I need the Holy Spirit. I need God. I need you. I need help. I need to read this so that I can see the stories. I need to read Job and think, oh, okay, I remember. You know? I've got to go read Cain and Abel and think, oh, there's this comparison here. These stories help me in this thing. And I want, us to, I want us to be those that live and grow in the ways of the kingdom. I want to be, us to be those who say, Lord, this is hard. This is not easy. We have not chosen an easy way. This is really, really hard. But it's, it's the way we're going. Unless you can deny yourself, pick up your cross every day, come follow me, you can't be my disciple. That's not an easy thing. That's a really, really hard thing. And that's why so many, I think, abandon. And why sometimes we would want to abandon if we could. But like the disciples, maybe we just, where else are we, we going to go? They asked Dallas Willard this question once. They said, why do you follow this Jesus? And his response was, well, who else are you thinking about? Because built into us is this thing to be with someone. Let's follow Jesus. There's a faithfulness to it. There's a story. There's life to it. It's hard. Oh, let's pull together. Remember last week when I got us to stand together and link arms, lean on each other, just kind of cheesy. I'm the king of cheese. I really am. Cheddar, whatever. There's something powerful about us realizing that we stand together. And when I feel weak, I'm going to lean. Oh, no, 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 no. Ephraim's standing there. And he's going to hold me up. My knees, oh. And then someone will just put that chair. Some, we need one another. So if you could, I'm going to hand over to Brian. Um, but just take a moment and reflect. Contemplate, meditate, just think on this. Say, God, help me. Where is it in my life that envy has set in? Where is it that comparison has set in? Where is it that I'm making an account and trying to balance books that actually is unhealthy? And then I'll 
Brian can lead us from there. Is that all right?